All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a chat with Matt. I want to thank everybody who checked out last week's episode. It became my most popular episode within six hours, and it's just still growing and growing and growing. So thank you to Ed. Thank you to Rowan Buffalo. But uh, today I'm back on the Zoom format, and I'm talking to a old, uh, former professor of mine from Music Business Management or College, as well as a CCMA award-winning country producer, Jeff Diesel. What's going on? Howdy. Howdy, y'all. Just- I was really hoping you started with a howdy. Howdy, y'all. <laughs> it's funny. Somebody called me out on the y'all. It's like, I, I'm, I was born in the U.S., so I used to have a drone as a kid. And for some reason, that just keep slipping into those things. I don't even know why. It is, it is what it is. So. I mean, it works for the genre you're in. Oh, I, sure. Well, my current genre. You know? Yeah, really. So, Jeff, why don't you give people a bit of background on who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff. Well, as you said, I'm a producer. Um, I've been producing a long time um you mentioned ccma like country stuff and you know that's um which you know i'm not ashamed of any of that it's just it 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 is sort of a in terms of music production i mean there's a lot of people ask me for advice on the stuff i go well i've got probably just as many or more accolades in rock and in pop so you know i was a producer at sony for years in-house and so i worked with a lot of artists that you probably know or i know you know that but um you know at the time support for pop and radio and canada pop and rock for radio in canada really did um inspire record companies to get behind those kind of products but now it's like the shift went to what country is the new thing and that's kind of really the only thing that they're seem to be focusing on which is not necessarily true but they they that's where the majority of the work is coming and so it's just you know, I'm not like following the money. I just like making music. So to me, I, I'm just as happy making a rock record as I am country or pop. So like I said, I've got multiple platinum records in every genre, like except for death metal at this point, which I really want to do one day. So, but uh, it to me, it's just music and I'm applying. I'm a product of tons of inspirations throughout my life. Uh, I was a drummer. I was signed to CBS Records, which is pre-Sony with a rock band and uh, the whole keyboard side of me from growing up in that environment from my dad. Um, it's uh, it just, I was skilled to work in any genre. I just loved music. I didn't even, I didn't give a shit what it was. It's like I played in rock bands. I played in pop cover bands, I, you know, you name it. So that was all education to allow me to really steer the ship on any genre. Cause it wasn't about me. It was about, the music so but so currently the majority of my work is country but i'm in a situation where i can develop so there are things that are being developed that are not country that you know slowly trying to get i want to go back to being more multi-genre than i am now but i mean it was more about you got to pay the bills and you got to work and i'm not going to say no if i like something but um so fortunately i've got to work with everybody in the country all my country clients have been great artists and they're just fun to work with and it's no different than working with a rock band or a pop artist you know that are serious and talented i don't i kind of see through the genre like does that make sense yeah yeah so uh my advice to any producers out there if you want to have longevity Try not to be um, genre specific if you can. Um, 
opening up your integrity bubble, listening to what's going on around you creates great hybrids throughout genres. Um, but at the same time, um, you, you just get better at it because if you're closed off to one style of music, then you eventually could become irrelevant. So, uh, I inspire everybody, even if you're like, if you're a rock producer right now and you're doing good, I know it's good, but take your time to go listen to some pop and try to lift some things and write your own and just kind of find your voice. So it's there and you're, you're ready to go. Cause I know a lot of really great industry folk that will phone me. They're phoning me because they know I'm multi-genre influence. So I kind of do things differently as a producer. So my particular productions and country that you can't listen to go, Oh, Jeff produced that. It's just it, but it's unique. It doesn't, I, I don't put my stamp on it. I put the stamp of the world on it to help somebody become unique in whatever genre they're in. So um, I'm not interested in making things sound like they sound already. Like I want to, and the only way I can do that is to pull is to draw from all the different influences like, I think you might have, I might have talked about this in, in class back, back in the day, but um, in my homework routine every day, do, do, do you remember me talking about that? Where every morning I listen to charts every morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that kind of. Like every morning I listen to the top 20 in pop, rock, active rock and um, country. And I don't, and once I'm done hearing those, I don't listen to music all day unless it's I'm something I'm working on. So I'm not really ever listening to one thing to copy or to, I kind of let the three main charts just kind of bounce around in here, you know, and then it's like, that's kind of what I do every day. And I've done that before there was even internet. I used to have my assistants at Sony pull down the top 20 of each chart and have it on CD for me. And then that would last a week until the charts changed. And then we'd make new ones and, that's all I listen to every morning with my coffee. And it was, and it was literally to, again, it's not to copy anybody. It's but to like re remember that I kind of have to live in a, in a, I don't want to live in a bubble as a producer. I want to be able to be open to being influenced by other stuff that's going on out there because it's popular. And why would you deny that if you want to make something popular? And I, now I've just become skilled at making sure the artist is, doing the same thing but also guarding the artist from going too far like like open yourself up to be influenced by things doesn't mean you have to use it it's just it will change it will change the way you write it'll change the way and then you just create new styles of music you know like not like it doesn't have to even be severe hybrids like back in the day when like with limp biscuit where it was rock and hip-hop and that kind of stuff but it really did inspire a whole new genre of music and offshoots and subgenres of that which i'm sure you're a fan of a lot of that stuff so am i anybody that's unless you live on a rock has been you know heard that kind of stuff so when i, I remember hearing you know some of those early hybrid stuff and you just go who you know most rock people would be like i'm fucking i hate fucking hip-hop and, and vice versa but once you start breaking down those walls new creative things can really happen and i think that's a good thing for us as artists and music makers and music lovers like if without those things like then it just gets stale and stagnant so if you want to produce music for a living that's one of the biggest lessons i can teach because you need to 
open up your integrity bubble. Like so, even, if, even if you're in a band, like and as a band, like if you're in this hard rock band, like it's still okay to like Katy Perry and listen because it's still music and it's, you can learn something from it and then apply what you want to it at whatever degree you want. So I think to stifle your growth as an artist is probably the worst thing you can do because we all know irrelevant rock people and irrelevant pop people. They just refuse to, you know, so many people I know go, oh, I, f I fucking hate Drake. I don't understand Drake. Do I sit and listen to it every day? No, but I've heard it every day because I listen to the charts. So um, I need to figure out why it's working. I don't care that it is or isn't. I don't have to like it. I have to understand that it is there. And why would I argue something that's working? I got to figure out how does that influence me and how can it subtly influence me as a producer? So, right. so, so you touched on a, a few things there I want to go back with. First thing you mentioned near the beginning of what you were saying was uh, country kind of became like an influx focus for you because you were getting a lot of opportunities in country. Was that because the industry was focusing a trend more on developing country acts or was there just a lesser focus on the other genres? Well, definitely a lesser focus on the other genres, for sure. Um, but most of my earlier clients were crossovers. So that, you know, like an artist like Dan Davidson, for instance, who charted tremendously for an independent artist. He crossed over from rock. He was the singer in Tupelo Honey. Originally, he was a guitar player. Then he became the singer. I made, fuck, how many records did I make with them? Eight. I don't even know seven like huge rock records with them. They toured the stadiums, like they were amazing. And then it just kind of wound down because rock wasn't getting love and kind of, it's not like it, you know, outstayed its welcome. It's just, there's a time limit on some bands and they wanted to change some things up. And with Dan and I had always kind of fucked around with writing country stuff anyways he's from alberta and then he had a meeting with dallas smith or their friends and he's like dang you should be doing this and so there's all these crossover people that went from rock to country but it was great because we didn't have to do what everybody else is doing so my entry into making this is not my first country not my first rodeo excuse the pun i've got gold records from country when country wasn't cool like back in i don't know what year 2004 like it wasn't like it is today so Again, it was just music to me back then. It didn't matter what the genre was. So, um, sorry, I missed what I was going to say. Yeah, so the new, there was a lot of people that crossed over from rock or pop into country. So, and some of them were previous clients uh, or the labels that they were signing to were our clients of mine. And it's just like, well, uh, can you do this? So, because they knew I was capable of doing those things. So, and, you know, that was primarily the calls I'm getting were were country to answer your question for sure from labels and a lot of the artists that were previous clients and then of course when that starts working then other people come out and they want can you do this can you do that and as long as i'm making music i'm happy so but like i said i don't begrudge the work i love because it's great music and it's what i i like to have fun doing it and i make it more of an organic fun vibe for everybody which we can talk about but um but I do, I don't want to get lost in that because funny enough, this industry is very quick to pigeonhole things. I won't mention the person's name, but I was working on a record 
uh, I can't remember what it was. I was just sitting with a friend of mine who was A&R at a major label and I grew up with the guy. Like we're that tight. And during the conversation, he's like, something came up and he, and he stopped the conversation. He goes, well, what do you think? You're the idol guy. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? I'd actually done like four or five singles for Canadian Idol at the time. And so now I'm the idol guy. And so now I'm the country guy. And so, you know, four years from now, I might be the rock guy. That's just going to happen. And this is why I said to you earlier, producers out there, anybody listening, fucking get out of your own way and learn how to adapt. And, you know, this pandemic should teach you that we do need to adapt as humans. And literally, I've been doing that on a smaller scale as a career for without, I don't even know why, just because I love music. I didn't care. Right. As long as it's my speakers are moving, I'm happy. So, but luckily I was, I took the time to acclimatize myself with all the modern genres that are happening and the versions of those genres. Right. So it's easy to go, Oh, this sucks or that sucks, but it doesn't. So the minute, you know, I try to also tell artists to help them understand that's like, you know how hard it is to, you know, the work involved of going from a thought to coming out of the speakers or on the radio or in a movie or whatever, that process is the same regardless of whatever genre. So even if you fucking hate it, you should at least respect how long it took Matt to do that. Like there's that, I try to get artists to understand it from that point of view. So it's like, yeah, well, you don't necessarily like the music, but you at least respect the person doing it. How much of that is still being dealt with in the genre of country? Because country, especially country in Canada, I've noticed there's been a significant rise in like artists, releases, campaigns, and all that kind of stuff. Like how much of that back slack of, oh, country sucks, do you or do any of the people you deal with take? Um, none. They don't actually, uh, like any genre, the specific artist in question at the time really doesn't fucking care what you think. Like they're, there's their, their, their own ego. Uh, you're a musician. So you know what I'm talking about? Like you do your thing, you do what makes you happy. And so you don't really care what you want people to like you, but uh, eventually you realize n not everybody's going to. And so lots of people make funny country jokes. So I like, I like all kinds of music except country. Like that was the saying back in the day. It's like, it's like, how, how, do, what did Nickelback do wrong? Look, it's like, what did they do? They sold 40 million records. How dare they? And all of a sudden, you can't throw a stone without hit somebody going, oh, Nickelback sucks. It's like, no, they don't. Because I appreciate, he's like, I know him. He's a friend, but I appreciate, even when I didn't, I appreciated at least the journey to where they got. And, and nobody likes somebody that's successful. Like, that's the other thing I try to teach artists too. So I'm kind of getting off the answer. But literally... Um, I, they don't, I don't, that doesn't seep into our process. We don't care because we're having so much fun doing it. Um, everybody, you know, there's definitely been moments of wounded egos when they read a bad review or they read a bad comments. And I've had artists in here crying because of something that somebody said on, on Facebook or whatever the fuck it was, something really evil or, body shaming or shit voicing shit talking it's like that you know that's always been there it's just now that you can see it so artists quickly learned that that's not the place to look for love trust me 
you know, it's just don't read the shit because it doesn't matter. What matters is if it's working and it's streaming and people are listening and downloading and doing whatever, that's really all that matters. So, and the equivalent to that 10 years ago was, did they buy your record or not? Like they just didn't have a space to go, well, your fucking hair is stupid. It's like, you know, that's just comes with the territory. So a bit of a learning curve for that, for sure. Over the last, regardless of the genre, like it's been a, I've seen that from its inception. Like it was horrible. Like people in my studio, guys and girls, like almost in tears because something shitty somebody said. And after a while they realized, you know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, just shut them off. Don't even look at them. Don't even read an article. Don't read any comments ever. Like who cares? Don't like it. And so that kind of goes with my whole process of, of producing something for any artist. I try to get them to understand that I want to, when we're done, I want two outcomes. So if I was producing your band, I give a shit what you're doing. I care about what you're doing. I'm going to help you grow. I'm going to inspire you to grow as an artist at your comfort level. But then when it comes to making the music, I don't, I want to have two outcomes. Either people are going to fucking hate it or fucking love it. If it's in the middle, then it's done. Forget it. Don't even put it out. It's got to be one or the other for me. So that's why I have to encourage them to don't read these things. Don't care about what people are thinking. If we love it, these people are going to hate it, but somebody out there is going to love it too. And that's really any artist. That's painting, sculpting, whatever, poetry, music. You can't worry about how it's going to be received. You have to do what you feel is right. But if then enter the commerce part of it and trying to be commercial, there are definite easy things that we can do as a team to give it a better chance to hit a bigger audience without, you know, uh, damaging your integrity that's you know it's a fine line and that's i mean there's a lot of producers right now and so um honestly like i'm trying to think of the right way to say this it's like until you understand that it's not about you and it's not about the listeners it's about your relationship with the artist and for artists it's your relationship with your producer that matters and if you're both on the same page, you can't fuck it up. Regardless of the skill level of like the team, like it's going to be what it's supposed to be. And then you grow from there. That's kind of it. But uh, too many people I find are turning their laptop on and trying to compete with what's already out there. And the minute you do that, you're done. You should be aware of what's out there. So you know your enemies, but you shouldn't care to be like everybody else. And you shouldn't care of how it's being received other than, okay, people aren't downloading or streaming it. Maybe we kind of shit the bed. And then so you update and you put it out. You update, you grow, right? But uh, to get lost in that negativity of uh, bad press or people saying shit, they say, I'm trying to get back to the answer of what you asked. Like, do I see that? I see it, but I also know that most of, if not all the artists don't care because they're going up and selling out shows. They don't, like they're on stage, they have a career, they have fans, they have fans that uh, relate to them, feel good about it, give them positive feedback, like, you know, this really helped me. And it really does, that's what drives them. They don't really care if you don't like it. So just like any badass rock band, I don't give a shit if you like me, fuck off. It's like, 
it's 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 not a rock thing it's a music thing it's an artist thing that answer your question yeah i I think that answered the question fairly well you you mentioned also earlier and you just kind of touched on it there like being aware of the people being aware of the enemies around you and stuff like that when you're trying to create content when you're going through that top 20 list what what are some of the trends in the different genres that you've seen happen over the past while especially of like the past year two years um well, okay, I'll use country as an example. Uh, like, if I listen, like, it, you'd be surprised how quick the charts do change. And I think that's indicative of uh, society and the human nature. It's like, when I was young, which feels about, like, 70 million years ago, uh, there was definitely clicks in, in high school. It's like, there was the rockers, and there was the punkers, and then there was the whatever at the time. I can't remember them all. But you know what I'm talking about. There was a bit of segregation. And I'm not even sure, like, when did you graduate high school? I graduated 2014. 2014. So it probably have been eroded a little bit by then. But did you find that there was cliquey music cliques in high school? Or was it a little less? I, I think for, for the circumstance I was in, I was in Coburg, which is like a small town. There's not a lot of kids, very, like less than 25,000 population at the time. And it's like. I think those social cliques are just something that are always going to screw around. Even, even in college, like an even programs like MBM, it's always there. There's always those clicky kind of groups. But what I've noticed, it was, if you can imagine the clickiness of uh, MBM, which I saw, imagine it was super hardcore. That's what it was like when I was younger. So there's somebody in your class that was really a metal guy, but actually kind of appreciated the new, Katy Perry song yeah right they didn't you know it wasn't like a I'm gonna we're gonna fucking fist fight now it was like that when I was a kid so um it's that's eroded a bit so I think um I think the popularity of uh sorry so I think more people are like what I'm doing that I can appreciate the different genres right which allows a lot of cross-pollination so I do see the trends change quickly because it's now it's like we cycle through product quicker because people are a little more of a now culture, like throwaway, like it's gotta be this, they, you gotta keep their attention. And so a lot of people are fishing and trying different things. A lot of throwback, like, you know, stranger things hits TV. Now it's all back to 80 synth and all songs start to sound like <clears throat> they're from uh, Miami vice or whatever. So, people do is influence. I try to be a little more subtle with my influences. Like I'm not going to go full on and somebody might argue with me, but like even something as simple as an 808 drum machine sound, I was probably one of the first people to use it in a country song because I used to own three of them, like the real ones. So I'm so used to those. Let's say it's like, nobody's doing this or I'm sure other people had done it that had maybe some success, but I, you know, I took some chances here and that's kind of, you know, I like to look at my job as like a tennis court and I can choose to play down the middle or I can play to the sides, you know, and I like to play to the sides where it's I can maybe even just get it out the line a little bit and not get caught. I like to do those things throughout the song. So it's not so typical. And so I do hear that a lot in every genre. I hear a lot of, well, that's cool. Good job. Good, nice try. And some people go just a little too far and a little too on the nose. 
And so, um, fuck, I forget the answer to the question. Um, I do, yeah, trends, the stuff that really goes on the nose with, okay, good example was the Stranger Things. As soon as that hit and it was a hit TV show, I started hearing that stuff again in pop. And I saw it where it was like this much. And I thought, I heard what was it, this much. This stuff still exists. These ones don't. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like they went after it too hard. Uh, the world wasn't, isn't ready for that maybe. Um, instead of just taking little pieces and just sort of kind of grow into a new thing. Uh, I think that's a good answer to your question is I do see the influence and I think people should be a little more um, subtle with the use of that stuff. And it'll, it'll go a lot longer. Did that answer your question? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, that definitely answered the question. Out, out of like the different genres you are absorbing, like which, which artist or which producer, which company is putting out the more original kind of content and not just recycling something that was on the charts three weeks ago? Ooh, that's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of great things happening that uh, I've, never, I've never heard of. And so, so this leads us to like the, where we are in this industry. So um, I have artists that I've done joint ventures with that are out streaming and out performing some of the bands that are in the top 40 in Canada or top 20. So it's, it's definitely, it's not like I'm not pro DIY and I'm not anti-label. So let me just state that first, but the outlet is there now. And so I find a lot of great things are happening right under your nose and you don't, and if you're, if you are a corporate, a consumer where you're just like, I'm going to go to what people tell me to listen to, which is what we were kind of all inflicted on our whole lives with radio. It's like radio and TV. We didn't have Spotify. We didn't have Apple music. So we're going to only know what they're showing us unless we really did the search. And, and that happened. I mean, it's like, if it didn't happen without internet, then we wouldn't have seen like who the fuck is Metallica when they're winning a, a, or a, a Grammy. It, it was like word of mouth and so on and so forth. So it's always been there, but now it's open season. It's all there, which has two, two results. Number one is technology and the ability to stream and get it out there has really led us to a lot of great music. Unfortunately, all the great technology and the outlet from us has also created a lot of shitty music that's kind of clogging up the big internet toilet. So it's actually getting harder to find things. And so my theory is that it's always been hard to find good things, but when the record companies and radio and television were the gatekeepers, 70% of the time they were right. And they would find the best of the best and go, here you go, Matt, check this shit out, right? And they could monetize it and try to make some money. And they were, you know, their hearts were sort of in the right place. Um, it was a filter system that we didn't have to listen to all stuff that's not ready for, I'm not going to say shitty because I was shitty one time too, but it's not right ready for the world. So now it's become even har harder. Well, it's kind of like rewind it. Like if we didn't have the music industries back then, like the record companies, it would still be the same. We're looking, we're trying to find it. We have to weed through all the stuff. A record company went, well, we'll help you find the best stuff and we'll market it. Now we're at a point where we're back to that. And the labels are a little slow to catch up to it. But um, you see, we'll get to that in a sec, but we'll, you see a bit of the, that working. 
But now it's like the filter system is the only thing that's missing when it comes to the outlets that we have now. So I can literally get up in the morning, have a coffee, write a song, record it, put it out by the end of the day. I could do that. Um, but they could do that back in the 60s. They could do that back in the 50s. It's like they, they could record right to vinyl, one take, and then mass produce it and put it out the next night. It was that, that was capable. They get it to radio. They could do whatever. So nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is that we're missing the filter system. And so now you and I as listeners, we have to sift through a lot of stuff that's mediocre to not great to find great stuff. And I've, I believe historically in music, the outliers have always been the people that have created longevity and household names, you know, like um, I'm trying to explain what I mean. Uh, like, okay, look at like, um, like Macklemore or even, you know, there's so many examples, Mac Miller that like, G Easy is a phenomenal one too. Like, so I was doing hip uh, hip hop record for, so it doesn't matter who it was. And uh, they turned me on to some of the stuff way back and not to sound like a hipster, but I knew about G Easy before anybody. Like it was as he was coming up and he landed and it worked and he's making killer money. And then, you know, labels try to come in and it worked for Macklemore in a label. Where is he now? So I think the labels still have a ways to go to learn how to govern that career for somebody to help them, you know, like I'm not, you know, Mac Miller, unfortunately succumbed to some demons and I don't know what caused that, but um, again, it didn't get the, the limelight because it was still, we still had the gatekeeper sort of, but that's even since that it's changed. And so, like I said, I've got artists when I go through my, routine every day about the homework. I also listen to Spotify charts and I listen to Apple charts trying to find new things. It's like, I'm finding artists that have like 30, 40 million streams. I've never heard of them. You know? So uh, I think those outliers eventually will rise. Like cream always does rise to the top and lover or hater. Billie Eilish is a great example. Like they just did what they wanted to do and it struck a chord and it worked somebody heard it and it grew and it grew and it grew. And I don't even have to, I love it. But even if I didn't, I respect it enough to go, yeah, there's something in there. Is it the, the simplicity of things? Is it the space? Is that the voice? Like I, I have to analyze those things and try to get what I can out of it to, you know, it's like reading a book for me. So slowly getting away from the answer to your question, but literally I think it's a great time because uh, my artists, I feel like they feel like a weight's been lifted off their shoulders. They don't have to wait for Sony music to go. Yeah, you're great. You can have a career now. That comes at a cost though. Like I, I think I try to explain to people that, um, you know, I wrote a book. Don't even joke about it. So still not. Uh, I, I was wa I was waiting for you to bring it up. <laughs> Because well, I just haven't had, but I did talk about, um, like, th thankfully, I, I sometimes I feel like some artists, because we live in a world where people are, the first impression is so important and so long lasting. It's an evil human stain um, that 
some people are not ready, that doesn't mean that they're not going to be ready. They're not going to be amazing. And so I've seen, I've literally seen like, wow, this, she's so good or he's amazing. Like this song is terrible. It's just not in the productions. It's like, and then it's almost like nowadays it's really hard to come back from that kind of, you know, pushback from consumers. Right. So it's almost like, that's why I'm really sad about that filter system I talk about because the shit I, man, my A&R guy at Sony, I would sometimes produce some things or co-write something and have it. I thought it was good and it wasn't bad. It was just, he, he put it in a CD player. A CD player is the, back in the day we had these <laughs> that were like, anyways, you know, we'll look it up. Um, he would put it in the CD player, hit play. And about four seconds later, he would stop it, take the CD out and throw it out of his office like a Frisbee. And at the time, that's very disheartening and makes you sad and angry. But going through moments like that, I learned how to approach things from a commercial point of view without making it commercial. And uh, I learned a lot of lessons from that. Even after having success and getting into Sony as an in-house producer, I still was learning through that process. And so um, A&R people of the past for the most part, really did know what the fuck they were talking about. And through trial and error, trial by fire, um, st stuff like me sitting in a movie theater, listening to a song that I have in the movie, and I'm going, fuck who, this is terrible. What was I thinking? And then I start sweating, because I think everybody in the theater knows I did that music. It's just like having those lessons over and over and over again taught me to be built my filter system so that I'm trying to pass it on to artists. It's like, yes, I know your baby, you love your baby you just made, but this is how your baby's ugly. And I got to help them unuglify that baby a bit so we can hopefully you like it, you know, at least try to give it a shot, you know? And so a lot of that's missing. And I feel that that like you, as a band or an artist, you can make your song and your boyfriend loves it and your mom loves it and everybody around you loves it. And then you get this false sense of like, it's amazing. And you put it out and people are evil towards it and it has a bad rap and it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden you've really kind of shot yourself in the foot. I thank God nobody heard version one of me. That's what I sang when I wrote the book was we we're in the band. It's like, we record, we wrote something, we rehearsed it, we practiced it, we spent money recording it and our friends liked and everybody and we shopped to record companies and then we would get uh, letters of refusal from them you know it's like it's not ready we don't it's not a great song or just like fuck you and we go back and we write more songs and not realizing over and over and then eventually we do that over and over and over rinse repeat and then we ended up getting a record deal with cbs so we didn't realize that that constant rejection it wasn't it wasn't personal like they were being honest about it and it's helped us grow helped me grow as a writer and as a music person to just be better at it than other people doesn't mean i'm more talented or more talented than you it's just i've had a thousand failures and so you learn through that to just don't put your hand on the stove because it's going to burn you so like this i use that example with a lot of artists you know it's like yeah i've done i've tried that a thousand times it doesn't work trust me trust me I know it sounds like a good idea. We're gonna we're gonna use the record player sample at the beginning of a song and make your voice. Yeah, I get it. It's just it's not you know. I'm just using an example, but uh, I think um, 
there's, I find amazing stuff online all the time and, and I'm excited because now it's working and I can use that as an example to show my artists, well, we don't have to wait for Sony to tell you it's okay. You have to wait for me to tell you it's okay, which is what it used to be. Sony would say, I think this is good. I like this Matt guy. What do you think? I think he's fucking great. A little rough. Let's try to, maybe his songs could be better. Let's hook him up with some people. Let's get him, you know, in rooms where it can really inspire him as an artist. And let's see where we go from there. That's what we used to do. And people don't understand that. It's like uh, every band on Sony didn't, we didn't just find them and put their record out. We found them, helped them be better than they were, helped them make the product. And then it was out and then it worked or it didn't. So that part, unfortunately, is really, how do you feel that? You know, you've got a laptop, you've got Cubase, Logic, or Pro Tools, and you've got Slate drums, and you've got this dry, good, good, good drums, and Easy Drummer, and this, it's okay. It's easy to make stuff sound good. What's the quote I said the other day? Um, I'll have to remember. I'll think about it. But it's like, it's easy to make something sound good, but then you, are you taking the time to figure out what you're trying to make sound good like what i mean by that is like are, are you starting with the right thing is the song great is the arrangement great it's i always my manager hates when i say it, but music to me the music part's monkey work that's why we're together we're working because you're a great musician you have a thing i've got my skills the band has their skills it's quite easy but what are we doing that around is is like if we're not starting with a, a solid, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, element, like the song, then we're wasting our time. And so that's what a real producer does typically and historically is I gotta be the bad guy and say, Matt, okay, you, you've sent me 40 songs. Out of these 40 songs, I like two and they're still fucked. And this is how they're fucked. I like the piece from this third song, number 30. Can we use that instead of this? And like, that's how we, I've rolled my whole life. I've learned. And so it's trying to get the best of Matt at the time and then influence Matt to be even better. Then we hit record. Super frustrating for some artists. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and of course, once they get a thousand likes on their song, then they might unfortunately convince themselves that they're ready. But it's easy to get 100 likes. It's easy to get 1,000 likes. It's easy to get 20,000 likes. Get back to me when 4 million people stream it and, they, and you have 2 million followers. Then you realize that those are, people are involved in that. Like those kind of numbers is there's somebody, some asshole like me that's trying to help you get out of your own way and inspire you to be better and cooler and more um, in tune with modern culture. Because you have to, I've yelled at you guys at, at that class as well about that kind of stuff, maybe trending and like, look what's going on out there. Like you can fight all you want, but you know, there's people that fought to keep the horse and carriage because this car thing is never gonna work. So, okay, you invest all your money in those 20 new horses. I'm going to go, there's this car down there. You know what I'm talking about. So it'd be an idiot 
to not take modern culture and themes into your work and understand that you can't know everything. So I'm totally off topic here. Um, am I? No, you're still in the general realm. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so something I wanted to ask you, cause you're talking about like the label and you talking about an artist and pushing them into scenarios to inspire and help create and grow them. What do you think about labels now? Have you seen as much work in art development? Because I've seen a mix of both and more on the less. I see uh, the, the indie labels that are responsible enough and are, um, started by people that were see there was a okay i have to explain something at one time there was a cd boom where uh a lot of record companies um got this huge influx of cash from back catalog when the cd was developed it's a whole other story also in the book that will probably never come out i'm hoping it will but um that created these record companies to balloon in size and when everybody had fulfilled their catalog of CDs of all their records that they lost their virginity to or whatever it was, those, those sales dried up. The whole staff was still there, but then trying to live on domestic roster and it was impossible. And so eventually they, well, first the artists got blamed domestic roster. It's a whole other podcast, but, um, but eventually those people got let go and some of them were really good and they went on to open indie labels some of the bigger ones we know today are basically the fodder from a record company closure or like in sony's case the merger between sony and bmg a lot of people lost their jobs some of them went on to create some very respected and successful indie labels the indie labels seem to be doing a better job at developing so uh, that's how i got my job at sony originally was to become a developer like i was doing all this other stuff outside this thing. Well, just come and do with us. And so I would not only be working on records currently in production, but also be working with artists, developing them, helping them get co-writes, co-writing with them, learning how to be better writers. That was all part of the process. Of course, we had all the fucking money in the world though. So we had studios, we had, we had um, personnel to do that. Uh, but when the CD sales and revenue dried up, um, there was a lot of people had to get paid. And so the trickle down is it started to be, well, let's not develop. Let's not do this. Let's just kind of, let's get the thing that sounds like Katy Perry done and get it out. So it wasn't really, I get it. There was no, like, they didn't surround and go, hmm, what we should do is, it was just sort of a natural growth during chaos that um, they, did, they stopped looking at, let's develop new things let's just take what's existing that will match what's in the charts, which has led to quite a bit of homogeny, but I really do see a lot of pushback from the online outliers that are seeping back into pop culture. Billie Eilish, Mac Miller, the list goes on. You know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. uh, you know, um, but that hasn't been different. The whole Seattle scene was sort of underground until it wasn't. Metallica was underground until they weren't. Arcade Fire was one of the last ones. It's like, who, who the fuck is Arcade Fire as they're getting their Grammy? Well, it's Arcade Fire. It's not Rihanna, sorry. You know, so pop culture sometimes is a bit transparent too. Even more so today, I think. But uh, I see a lot more development from the, the, the major indies. 
and the independents and some super talented indie artists. So, which has always been the case. Like the bands that we signed and worked with at Sony at the time, they were bands. They didn't, they didn't just become a band and we assigned them. There are bands out there working their asses off just like we're doing today. Um, playing and playing and playing in clubs and touring and doing whatever they did until they built up a following. And it's like, well, these, this is really good. And we just brought it in, helped them be even better and then see what the world thought. So it hasn't, for the major labels, there's less of it there because uh, they just as instinctually think it's a very costly endeavor when it's really that not not that bad. But um, I, of course, that's ours dependent. So, uh, but I do see a lot of growth and development from indie labels and the artists themselves more so than the labels, major labels. That answers your question. And I'm talking about Canada, by the way. Just to, and of course, I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know shit. I'm an, I'm an idiot. So go on. Next question. Uh, touching back on that, though, what, what kind of things are they doing to develop now? Because technology is continuing to grow like pretty much every day at this point. In like what strategies and what things are they doing? Because getting on a Spotify playlist, especially for an indie artist nowadays, it, it is a dice roll. You mm -hmm. don't really know if it's going to happen. You don't know if the algorithm is going to pick you up. You don't know if the editorial playlists are going to like you considering you're listening to 20,000 songs minimum a day at this point, if not more. Like what, what kind of things are they working on? Well, I can only speak for the stuff I'm currently working on because I really don't give a fuck what anybody else is doing all the time. I'm like, I don't mean that in a mean way. It's just like if I'm too busy focusing on other people's things, then I'm not focusing on mine. So I always, again, well, there's two answers to this. So one is, like I said earlier, when I'm in here or in the stu another studio working, I don't care about anything else. I care about what's happening at the moment. I've listened to my three top 20 charts earlier in the day. I'm done with that. Now I'm focused here. And so whatever you and I do in the studio, that's what we're doing. That's what I'm focused on. I'm not thinking about how many spins is this going to get? How many, is the algorithm going to pick it up? I feel that technology has made a lot of artists worry about things that are actually, if you're truly a great artist, that's not what you should be focusing on. You should be focusing on art, which is what I tried to tell you guys in the class because you were in music business management. Your job is to worry about those things and connect with an artist so, and help them not have to worry about those things and create what they create and get better at that. Do you think, do you think Picasso gave a shit when anybody thought about his paintings? It was here and then it, it wasn't there and now it is. He didn't go, hmm, I wonder what Van Gogh's doing. Like it's not part of that world and it never should be. So, um, fuck, I lost what I was going to say. So there's that part where I'm not caring about um, algorithms and whatever. I can't, I don't want to talk about specific talent artists because I do have a good relationship with some of the streaming services and that doesn't get me play. It's organically like, there's a few people, I, again, I don't want to say names, but I'm just saying their reaction to the product projects that I've got that have considerably considerable numbers in streaming have told me they, they're fans. They love, I'm talking about the curators. They actually love this project. And 
more times than not, their reasoning is, I don't know what it is. It just feels real. It just feels like it, it's legit. Yeah, it's legit because that's all I fucking focused on is the producer. I don't give a shit what's going on over there. Let's feel good. If you and I are making something that feels good, my experience and your talent and my talent combined, we can't fuck it up. Unless we finish it and it's, then you're just in the case where the world's not ready for this. That's a whole other, you know, that's a chance we have to take. But, um, but I think um, there's a lot of things. It's kind of like the equivalent of, like I really went off one day on a, on a panel about these, I don't know if you people might remember services that were coming up through Facebook about like, get your song on TV shows and get your, like, yeah. not that fucking easy. And they were a service, they're selling a service and taking pieces of people's music. Like if you have a million things that you own, something's going to work. So you're going to make some money. So it was like a, a it was like a, a lottery to them. And the way simply how it works in a TV show is if you're making a TV show um, and you need music, you call a publisher and you go, I need stuff that sounds kind of purple. And the person at that company goes, okay, what do I have purple? Okay, let me send you a few things. They're not sending 400 songs to Matt a day to, can you please put this in your movie? It doesn't work like that. And we knew that. And I went off. I'm like, if you give anybody money, to shop your shit to TV and they're promising you something, tell them, you know, whatever, I'll try to be nice. Your job is to make, to get into a publisher and let them curate your music for you. And so it's like, you want a publisher that's gonna shop Matt music. They're gonna send the right Matt song for what they're looking for. Not all the Matt songs when they're not, A, when they're not looking or they didn't ask for this. And so there's a lot of people that were doing that and it really hurt their careers. So fast forward today, it's the same thing. It's like I'm seeing all these things about magical playlist numbers and this is how you do it. No, you make fucking great music is how you do it. And either it's going to work or it's not. And that's not why you're supposed to be making music. You're supposed to be making music because it's music. And so if you come to me and, and you go, listen, the kind of music I make is I loop cat farts and then I white guy rap on it i'm like okay matt it's not something i really want to do but if that's what you really love to do do it you never know might be the new thing so if you get caught up in the business of algorithms and how do i get on this platform or how to get on that platform the answer to that question and it makes it sound easier than it is is make amazing stuff something remarkable if you're like i, I could go design better versions of this why the fuck would i care why would i do that i want this i'm gonna make that that's what i'm gonna do you guys go make that i'm gonna make that totally different thing my version so um fuck i forgot the question again. no but i didn't i didn't forget the question so um streaming is a business and however, the curators for the most part are fans of music. And so there's a serious disconnect between pop radio and streaming, which is why I said I've incorporated certain playlists into my daily routine. Because I know now, like I, if I didn't get to know these people through the awards and stuff and getting to know them, 
I wouldn't know the honest truth. I'd be still be buying into, well, I guess I should sign up to the service. They're going to give me streams on. No, it's still one guy or girl that says, I really like this Matt track. I'm going to add it to these playlists. They're curating it. It's like they're fans of the majority of the stuff that they're curating. And then there's the corporate part of it too. It's like, yeah, okay, well, this is Dean Brody and this is Brett Kissler and this is uh, Rock Band X from Canada. Yeah, let's give them, let's do what we can. And I know that some of those curators are going, I'm not really totally a fan of that, but I get it because they love music. And so they want to help the Canadian culture and do what they can. So, but I mean, I get to, you can only imagine how many songs I get to hear a day from demos for artists that I'm working with pitched to me uh, or people want my opinion on something. I'm like, wow, man, this sounds like me before I got my deal. It's like, I, it's almost there. Please God, don't put this out. Please don't just keep working. Right. And again, if you constantly just keep rolling with it, I wish there was a way that artists had a chance to throw it like some kind of a service that's like brutal A&R. Like send it, we're going to listen to it. We're going to be 100% honest with you. Take it or leave it to help artists grow. That's really what's missing in this industry to help. There's no fast track, but I'd rather like, here's Hugh, it's like you, you play me your stuff. I go, eh, uh, which would make you go, okay, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll go here. Without me saying, ah, oh, you might've went still going or it went that way and it really hurt your future. And I think unfortunately artists like yourself or anybody that uh, making music, I'm kind of sad that you don't have an asshole in your life. Like I really needed the assholes in my life to understand where I fit into this culture and this, into this business, right? I'm not, I don't know everything and I'm not, you know, Max Martin, but I live in Canada and I'm happy and I've got a good career and it's, I make money. So, and I'm only doing it by using the skills I've learned from assholes, which even at the time, sometimes I thought they were assholes, but I think they meant it in a good way. You know, I think, or they're just tired of my bullshit. They're just tired of hearing shit. And so sometimes I might even come across a little bit dickish, but I don't mean to be. I th I'm sure I was like that in class with you. Like I didn't mean to be a dick. I actually fucking cared about you guys. I wanted to be mean before anybody else is mean to my kids. Right? And so I think that's a huge thing that's missing. But still, there are the talented people out there, whether they're developed by an indie label or something in them, it's just, it's very rare to get a Beck. It's very rare to get a Billie Eilish. It's not as common as people think. But there are Billie Eilishes out there that exist. They just need a bit of help to get there. And sometimes they might ruin their chances first or they never get discovered. Right? So um, I don't know what that means. What I just said. There you go. No, I, I think... I love the idea of a brutal A&R kind of system, but I think the issue you're going to have is there's too many goddamn sensitive people out there that are going to take it as a personal attack and either give up or I feel possibly do a rebellious kind of 180 on it or something along those lines. Well, I mean, uh, a service like that would be great. And much like my attitude is I, I don't fucking care. Like you, you're sending it to me. You signed up. You paid me money to listen to your songs. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I think I might've showed you guys in class, some of the famous rejection letters. Mm. Like, I think uh, there was one that just says, fuck off. <laughs> That's all it said on it. I've, I've got, uh, you know, you've, if you go on search online, you'll see rejection letters for you too, for lots of artists that are huge today. And it's easy to go, well, that fucking A&R part guy was stupid. Were they? What did they hear? Were they instrumental in getting to them the point where we know who U2 is now? So I think it's easy to say that it's not, they don't know what they're talking about. They didn't sign U2. Well, I would like to hear what they heard before like the jury's out on that one, if you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So I'm sure the first couple of Nirvana records were probably shite until they started getting a bit of a following and then the production team that was involved was very good. So it really helped them be who they are. So um, yeah, there you go. The A&R idea is great. I think I've seen stuff like that back in the day, earlier versions of that on the internet, but some people just don't care. Like your shit doesn't stink. Okay. So I'm constantly doing this for my own artists and even that people that aren't my artists, but they're my friends. They go, can you send you a song when you're the thing? And I'm like, are you sure you want to send me a song? Are you sure? So they know now it's like, uh, again, it's always prefaced with it's only my opinion, but my opinion is not my opinion. My opinion is built on opinions of some very successful people that mentored me throughout my career. So I'm, I'm always trying to be not an asshole with it. It's like, but to keep explaining that is, you know, imagine if I had, okay, here's my opinion. And this is something I learned back in 19. Like it doesn't matter. Like, I can fix the car because I've fixed a thousand cars and I fucked up a thousand cars. So now I know what not to do and I know what to do. It doesn't make me smarter or more talented than you. It's just uh, more experienced. And that's, that's really, so you need to become experienced. You need to have somebody tell you your stuff is shitty when it is shitty. And it's up to you as the artist to believe it or not, you know? So don't play it for your girlfriend. Don't play it for your friends. They're going to always tell you the lies. Come on, honestly, have you ever listened to something? I, we won't even say names. You listen to something from, from a fan, you go, yeah, it's, that's good. Yeah, I really like it. Yep. Come on. Yep. <laughs> Lots of times. Right. And it, isn't it better? And you've played it for people too. And you, they go, yeah, it's, you've played something for them. And they go, yeah, it's good. And you know they're full of shit. You yeah. know but some people don't know that they're lying to them. And so then they take that as, oh, I guess I'm on the right path. It's unfortunate, especially when we live in a world where that, that's what I was talking about earlier, that false sense of I'm ready combined with the ease and access of computer technology to make music. It's a recipe for disaster, for a potential amazing future that you could have had. So I think I said something about like, I've heard so many rock stars that didn't become stars because they were too much in a hurry and there was nobody to stop them. I think there's lots of examples of that, that, you know, personally, I've known personally. So mm-hmm. it's just something about it. It's like, well, um, I, and even back in the day when we were the gatekeepers, I mean, we did struggle with artists that thought they knew better, but it was, you hear all the horror stories, like I said, but you don't, you weren't there. You don't know that. Yeah. Literally it was necessary and it worked. They eventually went, my God, thank you for being an asshole. I've had artists thank me 
10 years later gone, thank God you were there. Fuck, what was I thinking? So and they know now in hindsight that it was always coming from a good place. Again, it would be an awesome idea. Maybe you should put that together. Make an A&R thing. I don't think I know enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Jeff. You could just hire people. It's true. You could just be the hub. <laughs> and then weekly we all have to weigh in on something and be assholes and, or be, I used to do them. For, I still, I haven't done one in a while. I used to do the first songwriters association of Canada mm-hmm. where I down songs and demos online. Like, so one-on-one I'm listening to it and I'm filling in my notes and stuff. So it was trying to help like in this industry, even successful people are helpful. They want to try to help. We're not here to be assholes, right? So we're always trying to find great artists to work with and people. So I'm always open to hear it. Are you open to hear my reaction is the whole other story. So anyway. absolutely. Uh, something I also wanted to talk to you about was, I don't know how familiar you are with TikTok and that whole new aspect of social media, but something that's been coming more evident is, well, recently a TikTok play of a track counts as a play but also the production of music and songwriting. It seems that a lot of people are just trying to come up with songs that can do well in those 15 to 60 second windows. What are your thoughts on that kind of Uh, music? I think it's, I I don't want to, I'm not going to, I don't, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, Because there's two parts that one is like the technology is cool. It's fun. It's new. So was Friendster. So there is that potential that it just sort of kind of goes away. MySpace, good example, right? Facebook's on its way out. There's all, you know, so always going to be the new kid in town. That combined with, again, the sense of ADD, which is really HD, ADD, HD now. um, That might give it a little more, a longer expiration date, for instance, like people want quick and they want it now that consumption is not they don't it's hard to have you ever watched a movie with sorry you're a millennial let's say if you watched a movie with somebody that's just a bit younger than you yeah what do they do make more money than me okay just no i'm saying (laughs) trying to watch okay check out star wars the first first star wars ever and my daughter's like yeah this is great she's watching it's just the multitasking on the phone is like there's no attention span, right? Because yeah. they're constantly bombarded with stimulus, you know? So it's not their fault. It's just like us, even you, to some degree growing up, we didn't have all that stimulus coming at us. Mm-hmm. That generation's got it worse than you did. Yeah. <clears throat> so I understand TikTok. I get it because it's like, hey, look at, the, look at the keys. Oh, look at the squirrel. Oh, look at this. And it just keeps them engaged, right? And so um, the future of TikTok is obviously like all of them, it's going to be gone, but it'll be replaced by something that's a new version of that kind of thing. Or it's like, it's constant. Like you look at Friendster and then MySpace and then Facebook. It was just, Facebook is just the best of those. It just sort of kind of refined it, gave more content and, and then YouTube same thing it's content it's just like it's it's like a tv and um you could just learn so many things and watch so many funny videos and do whatever you want i get that i mean fuck if i had that as a kid too i'd be all over that so i bet you even gaming is lost um a foothold 
in con in, in um, modern commercialism. I'd like to look at those numbers. I was a big gamer too. I'm sure you were. But what about my daughter's not gaming? She's on Instagram. She's doing all this stuff. It's like it's so focused there that I think game sales are probably dropping too. I'd like to see the numbers on it. I just thought of that now. So it's just sort of that that'll keep TikTok going for a while. And then the new version of that's going to happen. Whatever fills the time and gets me there quicker. The next is human, you know, the GUI, like the, the graphics interface is going to be the thing that always wins. And so how do I deliver this faster and better than that company and cooler? That's always going to be the case. So um, it's just another thing. And I'm never going to be, I don't want to be a Luddite because when we're trying to convince people at Sony at the time, like this MySpace thing is pretty fucking cool. And they're like, ah, it's just a little website. It'll go away. And, you know, by the time it was done, it was like millions and millions of people on it. And um, uh, what was the band I'm thinking? My Chemical Romance broke on MySpace. And then Coldplay released a record exclusively on MySpace at the time. And I was trying to show the company, uh, you guys check this out. Like we should be putting money into this. And, Nah, it's just a little website. It'll go away. I don't, I don't subscribe to that mentality. Like you got, again, you asked about trends. You got to be on top of things. Do I think a country artist should be on TikTok? It's probably the wrong place, but maybe not. Depends on what kind of TikTok you're making. And so I think I do inspire artists to embrace that TikTok or anything that isn't popular and it's becoming new. Why not have content on there? It's free. Uh, people making music to be on there. Everybody wants to have a bit of infamy, right? There's, and there's a difference between being famous and, in, and infamy. Um, everybody wants that little quick, like I want to be known. I want to leave my mark. And, and of course, I mean, when you, when you have a service that um, gives you that platform to potentially be famous, it's a fucking genius idea. I think it's amazing. I think it's smart. And it shows... The other, to be positive, it really does show how creative we are as human beings. And I try to look at it like I, I'm, I'm kind of excited because my whole life growing up is like, you're a musician? Well, no, what do you really do? Like, what, do you have a real job? You should get a real job. And it's like, no, I, this, this is my job. And if I don't do this, I don't know what else I do. It's like, and that's like the same for a painter, a sculptor. And I think us as humans are more creative than we think. And some of us are just so in like when I first went on stage, I remember getting off the stage. I remember I'd be like, I got to figure out how to do that for the rest of my life. Right. So at all costs. And of course, you know, that gives us the stigma of like a bunch of loser musicians and irresponsible. It's no, like we just like, we just got the crack and now we're going to get high again and we want to continue to be high. I don't condone crack usage okay um music is an analogy it's that powerful um so i like the fact that it's showing how creative humans are from all walks of life and i think that is going to inspire some great new talent out there i think we're going to see more billy eilish's happen even they're rare. Think of how many millions of people are on this planet. There's going to be, there's going to be artists out there that are in their 
room now worrying about fucking the algorithms and how to get the stream instead of focusing on their art. And then there's ones that just don't, they're just doing it. And then all of a sudden people are going to go, they're like 10 times better than Billie Eilish. And you just go, well, what the fuck is that? And then, Pow. so it's just another platform for people to get noticed at the same time. It is really healing the planet. There's some really creative things out there. And I like that. So I think eventually it'll rise beyond the, this stuff, you know, and shock and influency hot chicks because they get older, they're not going to be that hot. I think they are now. And that's, if that's their skill, that's their skill. I'm talking about creative editing, creative songwriting, creative dancing, anything. It's all art. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, how it's going to exist even bigger eventually, you know, like a world of uh, trading ideas and things I think is a great idea, you know, for the world in general, but for arts, it's amazing. But a lot of people are going to push against it because then, well, what about my stuff? Like you should be focusing on my stuff. This is real. Well, then if you're not giving the public what they want, then sure then buy 20 horses and argue that the car is not going to work. So you do need to be a little more proactive in learning what's going on out there and understanding why it's working. So the TikTok is no different than Drake to me. It's working. I could sit back and talk about, Oh, back when I was a kid, we had Friendster. Fuck, you know, grandpa Simpson. No, like go and watch it. And go, okay, what's going on in here? Like, how can I, what can I input into that that's going to benefit me as a human and as an artist and maybe garner some views and some people and some fans? Really? Like, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I, I think that answers the question perfectly, to be honest. And I think this is actually a good place to wrap up uh, the podcast, unless there's anything else you'd like to discuss, uh, curse upon the world. I don't know. Oh, are you sick of the sound of my voice? Or, no, I, no, no. I, I totally am. <laughs> well, well I, want, I want to read the book, but it's never coming out. So this is the best I got. Uh, again, I'm waiting for the next version of books. Well, like beyond audio books, visual books. Wait, visual books is one. Also, the way audiobooks are uh, sold and stuff. Um, I just want to see what's happening. I want to before I make a decision. There's no rush because the the content is still relevant today. Is the book done? Yes, <laughs> yes, and I've had offers, and I don't want to do it. What's holding you back from doing it, though? Is just the with landscape. Well, a bit of the landscape, but also that watching what's gone, what I've gone through from a music side of things. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm still here. It just camera went out. Um, uh, sorry, I'll do be quick then. So, um, with music in terms of publishing and so on and so forth, how that really worked and learning how it did it. The book world is still a little antiquated in terms of publishing deals and stuff like that. So uh, it's, I look at it more like the music industry, like, uh, there are audiobook and you can still do publishing deals and you can do distribution deals, but there's not like to be independently released as strong as I can independently release artists through Apple and Facebook. It's still not quite there yet. And so 
I'd rather just give the book to people that want it for now until I can figure something out. But then if I do that, then they can just scan and upload it and share it. So I almost not, I almost, it's always a, I fight with my manager about this stuff all the time. He's like, we should put it out. We should put it out. We should put it out. It's like, 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 look, how is it, how much is it going to sell? Like, it's like music. As soon as it's out there, people can just, they'll figure out a way to download it. So if I'm looking at to make money from it, I'd rather inspire you to be better as a music industry person. And potentially I can do some speaking gigs to make some money if I want, or it might bring on new projects because the philosophies in the book that, you know, I'd rather it be um, to serve that than actually a sales thing. And so there's no, I mean, there's platforms, but I don't want to give away something to somebody that doesn't deserve it in terms of a publishing outlet distributor. Um, So that's why Mm -hmm. it's been like that for over a year. Like it's back and forth and, I, I just don't, I don't know. It's, it's good information. It's not for the world, but you know, um, be great for you guys to have as a book at a school, like back in the, it's like a textbook, like with real stuff. Like it's not that they weren't real books, but this was pretty, you know, visceral as you know. And so, yeah, like no college is going to put that into their reading because it's uh it's full of chalk, full of colorful words and, uh, we live in a politically correct time. So uh, there's no real need to push it away. In fact, the most people that benefited are, are the people I want to benefit are the artists because they love, they've all read it because they're here working so much and, and tracking guitars and they're reading chapter three now. It's like they've read the whole thing and they get it. I mean, that's what it was written for to begin with was that you and I, once you read the book, you and I are going to make music. Read the book because now we're on the same page, excuse the pun, and we get on to do the job. So we both, you know now what I know about what we're up against when it comes to the business side. And like I said, the like you were talking about the algorithms and all that stuff, the truth. And so now we can stop worrying about that and focus on making these fucking speakers move. That's all that matters. So that's what the book is about. Does it really need to come out or I just share it with the people I'm making music with? I'm good either way. But I'd like to heal the industry a little bit and let people know what the truth there'll be a lot of people that hate me when they read the book because i'm outing not them but their philosophy their potential skill that's not really required anymore so it's potentially dangerous for people but uh, i don't really care so anyways no I, so but touching on that quick because obviously you and i both know a lot of different things that could be improved in this industry, not even just on a national level, but on a global scale. What, what, what are like a couple of those things, not to spoil the book, but what are a couple of those things that the industry should be doing better or could do better or things that need healing? Um, I, you know what, I think it's like the number one thing, I think the book, if I was to focus out and go, what is the book about? The book is about, um, like the book is called top 10 and homeless and I'm, I'm neither. Well, at the moment I'm top 10, obviously sometimes, but I'm not homeless, but I'm not far off like anybody else in this country. So let's look through that fake. You know, it's not, I'm not wiping my ass with gold toilet paper or anything. It's like, I live like a normal human being. So, um, but the overall focus of the book is, you know, a lot of stuff has changed. A lot of stuff has been shitty. Um, even back when things were good, 
but it's always about and the industry is never going to be like it used to be. Uh, fortunately, I got to see it. Um, but um, it's about turning lemons into lemonade and like getting on with the task of making music. That's what the book is about. And so one thing I would say is, uh, and the overall, another part of it would be, we need as human beings, artists and industry people to, uh, to reevaluate and redefine what success is, right? Because if we're constantly trying to be successes like the Rolling Stones, the ability to do that is fucking gone but it's not, it is and it isn't. The, the type of like, think of how many records they sold. Nickelback, just like we just said, like millions of records sold. It's great. To do that again is never gonna happen, but you can still have the success from being cherished and liked and being famous, but on a song per song basis and it changes. And so if we stop thinking about how do we get on those playlists? So it's great that you asked that question because if there's too much focus on how do I market? How do I do this? How do I get this playlist? How do I get that playlist? Then you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is creating art, right? And so if you reevaluate what your motives are and reevaluate what success means, not just from an artist's point of view, but even the industry. And I, I, um, uh, an example I use in the book is if I wanted to do, I think I might've told you the story. If I wanted to, if, if I make black, uh, death, black metal death kazoo music, okay? It sounds funny, okay? But I'm gonna do kazoo black metal death metal ensemble, okay? Most people in the industry would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I, can't, I can't see that being uh, the Rolling Stones. I can't, uh, right? Okay. So you and I get together because we we're, the, we're in the band and we make black metal kazoo ensemble music. We have the opportunity to put it out into the world now if we have a chance to get people to know that it's there. There's got to be at least a million people that would appreciate it, right? How many people are on this planet? Uh, 7.8 billion last time I checked the number. Yeah. There's good odds that 100,000 people or a million people, if they heard that, would have went, that's kind of fucking cool, right? And maybe it's a culture we don't even know about, right? Which is maybe there's other death metal kazoo ensembles out there because we just don't know. Well, if a million people find it and they hear it, if half of those people like our particular style of our brand of death metal kazoo, we just maybe dealt, gained a half a million fans. And if half a million of those fans buy a t-shirt from us or a hat or download a single and give us 99 cents dude we just made 250 fucking grand if they bought hats at 10 bucks or 20 bucks a pot okay so what does success mean and it's like it's also about art and music and so the minute you start a band and you play a show and you sell a hat or a t-shirt or, or a few you've actually accomplished more than most people will in their entire life about enriching somebody not pissing on anybody's life, but which is why they're easy to turn around and tell us, you should get a real job because they're mad at us for seeing through our dreams, right? So, or seeing through the best we can to get to what we want. So I think if everybody in this industry stopped for a minute and reevaluated what is success, um, 
some of them would just leave because it's not it's not enough for them but it's enough for us to create music to make people feel that's really ultimately i know that's the desire of most musicians is they got to say something because i'm feeling it and i hope other people feel that way and if i get the reaction from people then i don't feel alone and then there's artists that want i want to be fucking filthy rich and fuck bitches that's 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 going to happen so but for the most part, I think the majority of art is art and for the sake of creating something and getting it out. And so if we all get back to focusing on that's really what's important. And then we can actually get to the work of making the art. And if it's good, then we can slowly change the shape of it and what it is to reach a larger audience without feeling like we've changed who we are. And that's growth. And I think most artists that we know household names today, even back in the history, they did spend their time growing into something that we know now, right? So it wasn't like a, look, I'm an artist. We have those, we've had those, but that kind of business is gone now for the most part. So, because now we're up against TikTok. We're up against truly, I've seen some stuff that's like, fuck man, I thought I was talented. Fuck. Like I found this one girl, I think she's from, where did I see where she's from? Iceland I think it's like she's playing cello comping chords and singing she sounds like she was born in 1930 and it's like what the so good I'm like it helps me remind me that yeah I got work to do and so I love that I love finding stuff on TikTok and Instagram that go yeah that grounds me into like yeah I kind of suck at what I do I should get better. And I think that's healthy. So there you go. There you go. Jeff, I want to thank you for taking the time to come chat with me for a bit. And I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Jeff, where can people find you and what you do? Uh, well, you just go to my site, jeffdelzioofficial.com. All the links are there for Instagram and Facebook. It's all there. And all that info will be in the description down below. All right, guys. Thank you for another episode. I will see you guys next week. Take it easy. <laughs>